the rest of you, if you would join me in praying as we come to the word this morning. Lord Jesus, may you just make your presence known this morning. May you show yourself to your people. May you speak to our hearts. Lord, may you call us to change and may we respond. Be glorified this morning, Lord Jesus, I pray in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been working through our series, Back to the Basics, looking at the basic theology of who we are as the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, there's nothing in here that's like really an outlier. This is just typically pretty basic theology for, for most churches. Uh, so we have been using the statement of faith of the Christian Missionary Alliance as kind of our guide to work through this. And last week we started on the ninth statement and we only made it about partway through and I didn't even finish what I had planned. Uh, so we're going to kind of move pretty quickly today. I'm going to give a little bit to finish up last week and then jump into this week. But we've been talking about the church. The, the statement of faith is all about who is the church, what is the function of the church. And if you remember, last week we were talking about there's kind of two different ways that the church is referred to. There's the big C church, like when church, when it's written out and it's a capital C, and then there's lowercase c church. And really what that refers to is big C church is the global church, like every follower of Jesus from the time that Jesus was on this earth until the day that he comes back. It kind of spans history and it spans the entire globe, the big C church, body of Christ. And what's something we were starting to look at is kind of what makes that up and what is the purpose of this global church. But then there's the small C church, the local church, our, our individual congregations and how God, they, they're going to have different flavors and God may call us into one area and another church into another and kind of the beauty in that. And so last week, we were kind of really focusing on that big C church, the global church. So here's the statement, uh, the whole statement of faith, and then we'll just look at pieces of it and break it down as we've been doing. So the church consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the head of the body of the church, which has been commissioned by him to go into all the world as a witness, preaching the gospel to all nations. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, for edification through the word of God, for prayer, fellowship, and the proclamation of the gospel, and observance of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. This was a long one, and you can start to see why it's going to take multiple weeks. So what we made it through last week was that first part, the big C church, see how it's capitalized, consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, redeemed through his blood, born again of the Holy Spirit, Christ is the head of the body of the church. That's where we had to stop last week. But this week, I just want to start by, by addressing there is one mission that the church, big C church throughout all time, no matter where you live, no matter what your context, there is one mission that we have all been called to. Every follower of Jesus that ever has been, is now, or will be in the future has been commissioned by him to go into all the world as a witness, preaching the gospel to all nations. I'm going to read some, some really familiar passages. Most of you probably have this memorized if you've been in church for any length of time. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let me stop right there. What's, what's he really saying in that sentence? He's king. He's going, oh, by the way, I'm in charge. 
All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, he tells his church, because of that, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said, look, I'm in charge. And because of that, go. Go make disciples of all nations. Go proclaim what I have taught. Baptize new believers. Bring people into the faith. I'm in charge. This is not an optional thing. Jesus didn't go, hey, if you get around to it, this is his parting shot, his last words to the church. I'm in charge. All authority has been given to me. Now, because of that, go and make me known in the nations. The entire church throughout all of history has been given this same commission. And listen, there's promises with it. He said, not only I'm in charge now, go, like he's going to stay there with his arms folded and wait till we come back and report to him. It ends with, and don't worry, I will be with you every step of the way. But go and make me known. Go and make disciples. And we hear that all nations part, and we tend to go, it's, it's too big. It's impossible. Who can do that, Jesus? And this is the, the blessing of this being to the global church. This is not just our job. We here in Elkins, West Virginia, don't have to reach every nation. We have to do our part. But as every part does their job, the whole sees the mission accomplished. Amen? Remember, we've been talking about how the church is a body, a bunch of smaller parts coming together. And when we work together, we see the whole thing move forward. The Holy Spirit will empower us to do what God has called us to do. Acts 1.8, literally the thing Jesus says before leaving this earth, his last words, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He doesn't again just say, look, I'm in charge, now go. And I've put my Holy Spirit inside of you and he's gonna empower you to be my witnesses in your neighborhoods, in your city, in your state, and far beyond. To people who are just like you and to people who speak different languages and have different skin colors and different culture, I am going to use you, church, whole big C church, to be my witness to all the nations, to the ends of the earth. Each of us has to do our part, but this is the calling that we all share in common. Every believer, every local church throughout all of recorded history has been called to make him known and has been promised the power of his Holy Spirit. This is something that we should be able to lock arms with any other believer, with any other church, and be about this. There's a whole lot we can disagree on. Whether it should look like this, look like that, do you dance or not, should we sing, should we not, what version of the Bible do you use, all of the stuff that people love to kind of divide over, the thing that should always bring us back together is that we have the same commission to go and make disciples of all nations. We've been empowered by his Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Francis Chan has a quote uh, in his book, Letters to the Church, where he says, Christians divide over silly things when we forget that hell exists. And what, what he's trying to get at there is going, there's a whole lot of stuff that has the potential to divide us, but there is one thing that should unite us like nothing else. We've been given the keys to the kingdom, and we've been commissioned to take it to those who don't know, to those who without the good news of the gospel will spend eternity separated from our God. 
That should be the most uniting factor we've ever seen. This is the commission of the entire Big C Church throughout all of history. So let's start to look now at our local church, the small C Church. The Big C Church consists of all those throughout all time who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the head of his body, the Big C Church, which has been commissioned by him to go into the world as a witness preaching the gospel. The local church, small c, is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, the edification through the word of God, for prayer, fellowship, and the proclamation of the gospel. Now getting down to the nitty gritty of what does it look like or what should it look like when we gather. There's this kind of big C church that, man, if you're a follower of Jesus and in a country where churches don't exist, they're not allowed, you don't even know another Christian, you're still a part of the big C church. But now we're talking about what happens when we as Christians actually gather together. What should be taking place on times that we meet together. Acts 2, 37 kind of talks about the first church coming together. Peter, this is like weeks after Jesus left and he's been filled with the Holy Spirit and he goes in boldness and starts preaching to the very same people that were in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him to Jesus. Peter now comes to those people and begins to call out their sin and call them to repentance. And look at what happens. Picking up in verse 37, repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 people were added to them. Can you even imagine that? Like Billy Graham reads this and goes, whoa, Pete, that's crazy, man. But let's think about the logistics. We love that story and we go, man, Peter boldly proclaimed and people were repenting and baptized and all this. Now let's think, okay, so they got 3,000 people that showed up to church. Uh, what do we do? It was just 12 of us. So there was, there was you know, a couple dozen of us in an upper room and we just prayed all the time. Now we got 3,000 gathering together. What do we do? What, think about the first church service. Like there, there was no, here's what we did last week, let's do it again. They had to figure out, what do we spend our time on? What do we focus on? And here's what they found in, in verse 42, the next verse. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all of the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. So they didn't have church once a week. They had church every day. And they were gathering together in the temple, in each other's homes, wherever they could find space. And the people in Jerusalem that saw this happening were so captivated by it that every single day the Lord was adding more people. The Lord was, was calling more people to repentance and they were responding. But there's five things 
that they focused on in that. There's five things that we, we take out of that passage that the church was, was keenly focused on. The worship of God, edification through the word, prayer, fellowship, and proclamation of the gospel. Have you guys ever heard of the Purpose Driven Church? It was a, the book did decently well for a little while there. I'm just kidding. It was like, it sold millions of copies everywhere. All it is, is a guy named Rick Warren breaking down this passage and going, if we have to boil down the function of the church, what should be happening? These are the five things that we find in scripture again and again and again. Let me ask you this question first from that passage. Before we get into looking at those five things, right in the middle is kind of a, a weird verse they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And we go, amen. Then fear came over everyone. Why did fear come over everyone? This seems like a really joyful time. And they were seeing new people come to Jesus. And they were learning from the word. They were, they were hungry and they were being fed. Why would fear come over them? Not a rhetorical question. Did you even notice it when I read it the first time? Like, it, it doesn't feel like it fits in there, really. Why would they experience fear when they're doing all the things that God has called the church to do? Okay, so what Hannah's saying is that there's that fear of like, man, Jesus is calling us into some uncharted waters, and maybe there's that fear of this is new, and some people don't like what we're doing, and like, is this really safe? I would completely agree that they would have experienced that, and that many of us experienced that, but I don't think that's the kind of fear that it's talking about coming over them. I was thinking of it as awe. Okay. 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 Okay, so she says maybe, maybe a better term would be like awe instead of fear, awe of what the Lord was, was doing. Sure. Sure. Okay, so a very common phrase. Uh, especially in the Old Testament, but you even find it in places like this in the New Testament, is the fear of the Lord. And it, it always talks about it as a good thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says. But there's this thing, the fear of the Lord. And it's weird, because what's the most common command in Scripture? Fear not. But yet there's this fear of the Lord that falls on the people. And I'm trying to think of any time when it's not a good thing that it happens. Shanna? Okay, so it's this, this reverence, this, this awe that comes when, when we're being the church the way that we're supposed to be. When, when you kind of realize that like, well, he's kind of terrifying a little bit. Like, 
Okay. Dan, did I see you raising your hand or did somebody say your thing? Uh, I'm just still thinking. Still thinking, okay. Yeah, so I mean, so part of what you, because you and Hannah are kind of talking about a similar thing of there's this kind of doubt, this way, am I, is this the right path? Is this, sometimes even, is this worth it? And there's some fear involved. And again, I don't think that's what they're talking about here, but that is, we find that all throughout the scriptures, but it's, that's always tied to faith. Here, here's something that we have to understand. In order for faith to be present, fear and doubt have to be present. You can't exercise faith if it's a sure thing. Like one day, there will come a day, think about this, when Jesus comes back and we see him face to face, guess what goes out the window? Faith. I will no longer have need of it for all of eternity because there he is. I can see it. Doubt is gone. While we're here, the reason we're called to faith, the reason that we're called to strengthen our faith is because doubt is real. Because following Jesus really is scary and some people look at that and they go, man, I'm so weak. Why am I even scared right now? Why do I doubt? Because you're a human being this side of eternity. We all experience that. Faith is our answer to that doubt. It doesn't remove it. It doesn't make it go away. It doesn't all of a sudden make it not scary. But faith is choosing to move forward because I believe what he said in the face of my fear. Does that make sense? The, the fear of the Lord that they're talking about here and again, in a lot of the Old Testament, that kind of stuff, is always tied to the presence of the Lord. Listen, then the fear came over them, and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. This fear that comes over us when we're in the presence of God is a good and healthy thing. Part of it is this awe and this reverence, but actually fear is a really good word. When we come into the presence of an unknowable God, like here's what I mean by unknowable. We can know him and have a relationship with him, but we can never fully comprehend him. We will never fully understand his ways. We will never understand his power. At no point in time do we get to stand up and tell him what he should do. When we come into the presence of one so much greater than us, fear is a natural response. Have you ever been in worship and just had to cover your, your face with your hands because I, I can't even look at you? Who am I? Like David, the psalmist says, who is man that you would even be mindful of me? I'm a speck of dirt and yet you make your presence known to me? And this very natural, very healthy response is fear. Not fear because, oh no, what if he gets angry and swats me like a fly? He is a good father. Some, someone said, he's on our side. But who? it's, the writer of Hebrews says, what a terrible thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. And he doesn't mean terrible, like gonna be bad for you, but terrifying. Because I recognize just how far above me he is. When God makes his presence known, there is this healthy response of fear. And they were seeing then him move in incredible, miraculous ways. But guess what that did? That stoked the fear. Who is this God that he can even heal the sick, that the blind can see? Who, 
Who is this God? I've always said one thing that, that gives me great comfort is when I experience the fear of the Lord and there's that, oh man, he's up here, I'm so far down here. Like there's a little bit of like trepidation of even being in his presence, but then going, when you have that thought, he's on my side. The biggest bully in the block is on my side. He's not scared of anyone and he's for me. Man, now you see your faith grow and this courage grow. The church grew because the fear of the Lord was present. Because as they fulfilled the function the church is supposed to fulfill, God made himself known. His presence was made manifest. And this fear came up, this, this holy, reverent awe that we're in the presence of one so much greater than us. And they began to see him move on their behalf and then they went around rejoicing and giving thanks and, and worshiping him. And they see their numbers growing every day. Because as the church is the church, God makes his presence known. And where God's presence is, our natural response is fear in the healthiest possible way. Do you guys understand this? Is this making sense? It's, it's a tricky thing. There's a lot of people that hear it, and it's, it sounds incongruous, like it shouldn't go together, because he's good, and he's holy, and he's a loving father. And we're afraid. And we're afraid. Not because, like, oh, no, when dad comes home, what if he hears about what I did, and he takes off his belt? Like, not that kind of fear, but because I've seen what my father can do, and if he wasn't on my side, I shudder to even think about it. But then faith comes from praise God he is. Adam? We, there, there's a number of songs that have come out recently and, and I appreciate them because they're trying to capture this idea of the uncontrollable nature of God. We love a God that always acts a certain way. He never does this. He always does that because we kind of know what to expect. But when you really start to experience his presence and know many is, you realize you are completely out of control. He's in charge. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's the king. There is a, a fear response to that of a, I'm not in control, but I trust him. And it's, it's a beautiful response. When the church focuses on the purposes it was created for, the presence of God is made known among us. But we have a problem. Church culture, I started talking about this last week. There is this Western church culture that we're always kind of fighting the gravitational pull against. And church culture in the West has a problem, and it's this. We've outsourced each of these purposes of the body to hired professionals or an organization. Remember, we talked last week about the church. That word means ecclesia. It means the gathering, the, the, the congregation, not some organization, not some name over the door, but the actual people. But what we've done is we've taken these, these purposes of worship and the ministry of the word and prayer and fellowship and the proclamation of the gospel and we've outsourced it. Well, that's why we hired this guy. Well, when, when the church puts on an outreach event, we'll do outreach. And we, we've outsourced it to other people. And in bigger churches, it's much easier to do. They just hire 40, 50 staff 
and they can make some pretty good stuff happen. It starts to fall apart in a smaller church. But there's this expectation that someone, the church, whoever, whatever that means, should be doing these things, but I don't really have to. They should be doing them for me, and yeah, I'll give some money and I'll applaud when they tell a story. Let me tell you, that church doing those things doesn't exist. If you're not doing it, if I'm not doing it, the church ain't doing it. A little look behind the scenes here. Let me tell you about the church organization that we have here. I am employed full-time by the church. We have a church secretary who works about six hours a week. Shirley works with youth about 20 hours a week. That's it. Our elders meet once a month, and our focus is on prayer for you and how can we meet the needs and, and troubles that you're having in your family. Our governing board, which deals with like the finances, meets every other month. That's the church. That's what's behind the scenes. We're not going to do these things for you. It, and quite frankly, it's not my job. I absolutely love what I do, but here is my biblical job description, Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So my role in there, being pastor and teacher, is to worship for you, do the ministry of the word for you, pray for you, fellowship for you. Like, it's to train you to do the works of service that God has placed before you. That doesn't, listen, I'm one of these. I'm, I'm doing the works as well. But at no point does it say, so just come and sit and be a part of the audience and watch the church do its thing. Those who, who have been called to this full-time life of ministry, vocational ministry, our job is to train you to go and do the ministry. He says a few chapters earlier in Ephesians 2.10, speaking to every believer, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Each of us have been called by Christ to walk with Christ, to do the works that Christ has given us. None of us are exempt. None of us are a part of the audience. We've all been called to do the work of the church. Is this making sense? The problem is that we've outsourced these purposes. The solution is the exact opposite. Each of us needs to take ownership of the purposes of the church. Each of us needs to take ownership of these five things in the life of the body. Whenever, wherever the body gathers, we each need to be involved in these five purposes. The church is a body. It is many smaller units coming together to make a whole. No one is gonna do these things for you. You are the church. I am the church. When we come together, we are all called to participate in the ministry of the church. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God. So this doesn't mean that, that when we get together, the worship team worships and you're invited to join in if you want to. Who is the audience when we worship? The Lord. 
There's a reason a couple years ago, I'm so grateful that we moved everything off of this stage because it was really weird, us being up here singing at you and you being out there singing at us. It felt like we were performing and you were the audience and it was this weird thing. Part of us moving down here was in going, let me get out of the way because we're all singing to the same one. He is the audience, not us. So listen, what happens if I don't like the song? I just don't sing that one. I get to sit this one out. No, let, let me tell you, it's regular. I lead songs. Like I, I feel led by the Lord to pick songs that I can't stand. I just, I don't like them. They're not my style. They, they don't really speak to me, whatever it is. But part of setting up the service each week is going, Lord, what, what do you want us to sing? And I, and I pray and try to choose accordingly. And there's a lot of times when I'm going, oh, that one. But it's that reminder, like this ain't about me. It's not about whether I like the song or not. The words we're singing are still true of him, and so I'm going to worship anyway. There is an audience of one. It's not a worship team and everyone else. So let me ask you this. What should it look like when we join together for the worship of God? When the church gathers, what should it look like? If it's not you kind of just being out there, singing when we tell you to sing, stopping when we tell you to stop, what should it look like when the church gathers for worship? It should be Okay. What else? What, what should it look like when we gather for worship? The ideal, wouldn't it be great if we just got to turn off, is anyone looking at me right now? None of us can. Most of us are aware that, like, if I raise a hand, if I clap, if, I, like, people are going to see it, and we all tend to be a little self-conscious about it, part of it might be, is the Lord calling us to fight through that? And listen, is everyone going to express themselves in the same way? No. Does everyone need to? Absolutely not. The question is, in our own hearts, are we kind of withholding it because, oh, what are they going to think? What are they, like... Or even, like I said, for me sometimes, because I just don't like this song. So I'll just kind of phone it in and wait for the next one that kind of gives me this emotional feeling that I enjoy. Am I going to choose to worship, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's... Okay, anything else?
Sure. Yeah, so when we talk about worship, especially in singing, and hear me say this, worship is not just singing. We've done a disservice by using that word to only mean singing certain songs, but that is a massive piece of the way that we worship. There should be this emotional reaction that happens. Like I said, kind of, this not like, there's been this debate that worship is either emotional or it's intellectual. You kind of almost have to pick one. And what happens is those that are intellectual will say, we only sing these songs because the meanings are so good, like the words themselves are so true, and we just want to sit and almost like coldly focus on, yep, that's true, we all agree. Because emotions can be a little scary. They're a little uncontrollable at times. But then there's this other side over here on the pendulum swing that says, really, worship is about feeling this certain way. And these kinds of songs, this kind of worship, make me feel this certain way, and that, therefore that's what we do. What are we worshiping in the second one? We're really worshiping ourselves. I just want to get this kind of emotional high, this feeling. But you also cannot separate the two. Worship comes from this posture of humbling ourselves and choosing to adore him. And in doing so, when God makes his presence known, even that the fear of the Lord is an emotional response. We should have this emotional response to him, but even if it doesn't come, there's a lot of times when I'm singing and it's just kind of like, you know, you ever had that where it feels like it's bouncing off the ceiling? I'm gonna keep coming anyway because he's still worth it, whether the emotions happen or not. When they do, man, praise God, it is so good to be worshiping with you, and I just feel like the presence of God is there. But even when it's not, worship is about a posture. I'm going to take a posture of humility that says, you are greater than me. You are king and I am not. You are worth my praise, whether it feels good or not. Something talked about in the Old Testament a lot is there's this idea of a sacrifice of praise. Praising when it just doesn't feel good, but praising because he's still worth it anyway. But we can, we can worship through, through praise, through singing. We can worship through our times of sharing and through thanksgiving. We can worship through our times of even conversation here as we come to the word and we go, man, here's how good God is. And man, isn't it cool that God does this? It's all adoring him and lifting him up. Worship is to be a function of any time that we gather, whether we have instruments or not, whether we have microphones, whether we choose to sing or not. Are we coming together with a humble posture and we're going, man, let me tell you what he's done this week. Man, I just read this the other day. He's blowing my mind. He is so big. He is so good. Like, just praising him, whether through song or not. We've dumbed it down to mean just worship music. Music is a very ancient way of, of helping us to connect our minds and our hearts. And so it's a powerful tool. But that's not all that worship is. And so we are called to worship every time the church gathers. Does the church, we did this last week, does the church just gather at 10.30 on a Sunday morning? No. The church gathers whenever, whenever a literal family unit of believers gets together and has dinner. That's a church service because the church is coming together. The people of God are joining together. Are we taking time to intentionally worship God? to praise him for what he's done, to adore him, to humble ourselves. Worship is a, is a personal choice that we all have to make. We can't make it for you. The, as we set up a church service, like we're trying to give some order and structure and make sure we focus on things that are important, but we can't just play the right songs and make you worship. 
There's some times when God shows up and it is complete grace when we're not in the right space. We haven't done what it takes to kind of humble ourselves and he shows up anyway and we praise him for it. But I refuse to wait for those times. Here, here's a, a difficult truth when it comes to worship that most of us try to ignore. Worship takes preparation. You cannot just run through your week, whatever crazy pace you need, straight through Saturday night, wake up Sunday morning, gather with believers, and man, I'm just ready. Uh, somebody once said to me, Sunday morning starts Saturday night. And it, it was this idea of like, how I end my Saturday affects how I wake up on Sunday and where I'm at when I come and gather with the people of God. Now listen, Sunday morning, not the only time the church is. It's, it's purely an example. But worship takes preparation. I can't just do whatever I want and say yes to everything and run at a breakneck pace Monday through Saturday and expect to be able to come and join with the body and be in a place where I can go, man, God, I've humbled my heart before you. You are so good. Worship takes preparation. It is a function of the church. It is a command for us. Not when I, again, not for us, not the organization, for us. And it takes preparation. We have to humble ourselves before him and be willing to step out. It, is it a hard thing to come to a microphone and give God praise? It is. For many of us, that's a really scary place. Or to shout something out during a sermon or to raise a hand while, like it can be really scary. We have to be at that place of going, humbling myself, you are worth it. I, I think of King David, who, who was, was coming and dancing and praising before the Lord, and he's, he's getting so into it, he starts kind of stripping off his robes, and his wife, who's super jealous of him, it's not a healthy marriage at all, comes up to him and goes, you are making a fool of yourself, how dare you? And he says, look, I will be even more undignified than this before my king. Like, I, I will worship, even if it humiliates me, he's worth it. Whatever he calls me to, that's what I'm going to do. It's, we don't like it, but humble and humiliate, same word. There's a lot of times when I don't pick songs that talk about how we dance before the Lord because I'm like, we're not going to dance. And it just feels like, like lying a little bit. And so I'm like, eh, maybe we don't pick that song. Or sometimes I got, and listen, I'm, I'm just as scared as you guys. I'll stand up there and I'll do a little dance like this. And I'm like, it kind of counts, right, Lord? Like, I'm, I'm doing what I say, right? Like, I think he pats me on the head and goes, that's cute. We'll get there. But 
Worship truly is about this posture of adoration and submission to him, though. Romans 12.1, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. He doesn't say sing songs to each other, but to come in humility and service. And by doing this, you are worshiping your God. It's, it's a life of humility and service. Ephesians 5, 18, Paul talking, listen to how he describes when the body comes together. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When was the last time you sang a song to someone? Like looked them in the eye and just sang a, a spiritual hymn to them. I haven't, and I hope none of you ever do to me, like on, on one level. But there was just this expectation of praise. When we get together, we can't help but praise him for what he's done. Music from the heart, always giving thanks to the Lord. This was just a part of the body gathering together. Not something on an order of service that, okay, that's done, check, we move on. It's every time we gather, we can't not praise him. And sometimes it even comes out in song. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, for edification through the word of God. Sometimes I look at people who write things like this and I go, come on, man, edification, really? You will never see the word edification anywhere else other than in theological texts. It's kind of a, a King James word that we just kind of keep breathing life back into. The, the word edification really just means instructing and building up. Okay, so don't be scared off by, have I edified anyone this week? Like, it's instructing and, and, and building up together. So the local church is a body of believers that build one another up through the word of God. So what should it look like when we gather to be built up through the word of God? Okay. Yeah, R reminding one another of the promises and the things that God has said through his scripture and all of this. And, and who does that? You said the, a couple times, each other, one another. But wait, the ministry of the word, that's, that's my ministry, right? You guys come and sit. I tell you what the word says. We sing a song and we go home. That's what the ministry of the word looks like in the church, right? That's why you pay me, right? No. It certainly was never meant to. Again, it's been dumbed down to that to mean the, the edification of the word. I hope the preaching is good. And if there's Sunday school, that the Sunday school teacher knows what he's doing. And we've kind of said, that's what it is. Again, we've outsourced it. The teaching of the word, that's for those that have been to Bible school. You don't find that in the scripture. What should it look like? Like practically, what should it look like when we gather together to be built up through the word? Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. People should be, be encouraged and built up because they see the word being lived out in our life. They see us actually obeying the scriptures and becoming the kind of people the scriptures call us to be. Okay? There's definitely this, this learning component here. I mean, again, the, the word of God is meant to, to teach us, to instruct us, to build us up. And that needs to be evident in some kind of change. If all it is is I learned this word in the Greek or I memorized that verse, but there's no actual change, you, you haven't actually come into the presence of the living word of God. Okay, the sharing times, just as we're encouraging one another, it better be tied back to the scripture in one way or another. You know what I mean? Like it needs to be. Sometimes I think we, for fear of what if I get the verse wrong, what if I, we don't actually share the scripture. We kind of give our thoughts or we share, here's what God has done. But there's something really powerful about the word of God being shared. And again, far too often we've outsourced it. Look at a couple passages of scripture. First Thessalonians. But since we belong to the day, he's talking about, he says, look, the world is kind of like people at night trying to do everything in secret. All the things they know they shouldn't do and don't want to get caught doing, that's kind of how the world lives. He goes, but we've been called into the light in Christ. But since we belong to the day, we must be serious and put on the armor of faith and love on our chests and put on a helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Amen. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. He's going, here's, let me break it down for you. Paul's going, look, the faith is hard. People are going to come against you. You need to put on the armor that God has given you. And when you come together, encourage one another. Build one another up. What do you think they were encouraging each other with? The promises of God. They were reminding one another of the scriptures. They weren't just going, hey, uh, here's a sermon I heard last week. You should listen to that. Here's a podcast I found. They were actually speaking the word of God to one another. They were reminding one another. The ministry of the word is a ministry we all share together. It's one that we have all been called to. Encourage one another and build each other up as you're already doing. Hebrews Chapter 3, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Look, sin is tricky, and we will naturally harden our hearts. Encourage one another. Remind one another of the promises and power of God that he has shared, where? In his word so that we may be built up. Seven chapters later, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encourage each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Look, some were in the habit of just going, I don't have time to even get together with the body. I, just, I don't have time. He's going, look, don't fall for that. If you're going to hold to the hope that God has called you to, we need each other. And what happens when we come together? We encourage one another. 
all the more as you see the day approaching. Things are going to get harder. We have an even greater need for one another than we have in the past. And we need to be encouraging one another, speaking the word of God over one another. Even, Even at the smallest unit of the church, a husband and a wife coming together, listen to how Paul describes it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Here's what Jesus does for his church. He cleanses his church through his word. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. He uses his word to clean us so that he can present us holy to his father one day. And he says, husbands, in the same, t- in the same way, when you are with your wife, sanctify her by the word. Speak the word of God over her. Encourage her in this. Remind her of the promises. Remind her of the the holy life that she's been called to live, just as Jesus did for his church. We've all been called to the ministry of the word when we gather together. Imagine if I had a hard time closing up the church because you guys just wouldn't stop encouraging one another. Hey, guys, we're all hungry for lunch. Like, come on. You're like, yeah, yeah, hold on. Remember when Paul said this? Like, you really need to remember that in this situation. This is a tough situation you're going through. Don't forget what Jesus said. Like, this is what it is to be when the church comes together. Preaching, cool. I hope it's helpful. But if this is as far as it goes, we're missing it. Minister to one another with the word. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, for edification through the word of God, for prayer. Sunday mornings when we gather, this is one that I think we're, we, we're already kind of fighting against culture uh, in a little bit. We've had people tell us, like, boy, you guys pray a lot at this church, and we love that. Sometimes they're complaining. It's kind of like, hey, it's a little awkward, and we're like, yeah, it is. We're, we're, we, we try to be really intentional about getting different people to participate in prayer and praying uh, for our service, praying over the offering, these kinds of things. But, but too often... Even, even in this, even in some steps we've taken, it's still one person praying for other people. Like, I'm going to pray, you guys just be quiet. And like, yes, agree with me. And that's, that's a beautiful piece of prayer. But one of the things that we can miss if we're not careful is the praying for one another. Man, sharing those hard things. And yeah, like, let me, let me remind you of the promises of God. And now let me go before God with you. Again, imagine if I, I can't lock these doors up because they just keep praying for each other. And this, something's coming up. And now more people are gathering around and praying with that person. Like, what a beautiful sight it would be. But we tend to have somewhere to be. Or, you know what, like, I don't even really feel safe telling people what's going on in my life so that they can speak the word of God over me and pray over me. And so we just miss it. And we go, we had some nice prayers during the service. Done. We prayed. We're a praying church. One of the focuses of our small groups is prayer. A a section of every time a small group gets together is meant to be, how can we be praying for one another? And let's practice this. Let's carry one another's burdens and let's pray for one another. Not let's bring in the professional to pray over us. Like, let's pray, whether we feel like it or not. Let's bring this before the Lord because he is worthy and he is powerful. And let's ask him to move on our behalf. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, for edification through the word of God, for prayer, and for fellowship. Fellowship, I think, might be one of the most abused words in the church. What we've turned fellowship into meaning is proximity. 
Yeah, yeah, we fellowship together. They go to my church. What's their name? What's going on in their life? I couldn't tell you. Sometimes we say just because, like, we had a fellowship event. People got together and they ate food. Therefore, fellowship happened. No. Like, not really. Here's the thing. Is it a bad thing? No. Could that be a piece of fellowship? 100%. But we say just because we got Christians in proximity to each other, fellowship. That word fellowship, it feels like I'm using the Greek a lot because I did it last week and I'm doing it this week. I don't know Greek. I Google it. That word fellowship there is koinonia. Koinonia literally means partnership. It means community. Not just, again, they, yeah, they kind of know each other, but like they are partnered together. They have locked arms, and they are moving forward together. The church has been called into fellowship to carry one another's burdens together, to encourage one Like All of these are pieces of fellowship. We've just turned it into a potluck dinner. And then we kind of hope some fellowship happens, but we don't come in going... Tell me what's going on in your life. I want to carry your burdens. I want to partner with you. I want true community. We've kind of settled for some surface level stuff. And listen, please don't hear me say getting together for a potluck dinner is bad. Ladies, Friendsgiving dinner, awesome. I love it. Last year uh, in February, we had like a couple's date night kind of thing. We ended up turning out all the lights over there and playing tag. 30, 40, and 50-year-olds running around in the dark. Two guys had just had knee surgery, and we kind of like gave them positions where they could like hobble, and it was cool. But like we had a great time together, and it was beautiful. I'm not going like, oh, that's pointless. Why did we, we didn't spend time just deep prayer over each other. Those are really good things. What we're hoping is that out of those fun events, deeper relationships are formed. If it's not leading us toward deeper relationship, actually doing life together, we're missing it. We're settling for something. Fellowship is much deeper than just getting together and having a good time. That's where it starts. But it's always meant to go deeper, to carry one another's burdens. Make sense? Okay. Finally, the last one. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, edification through the word of God, prayer, fellowship, and the proclamation of the gospel. Kind of back to to where we started this morning. Please don't confuse the church's mission with an organization's responsibility. Proclaiming the word of God is not something the Alliance Church will do for you. It's not something we could do for you even if we wanted. Again, a little behind the scenes, there's not a whole lot of we that are paid to do these things for you. It's we all embracing the mission that God has called us to, all taking personal responsibility to proclaim the word of God, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with those that don't have it. It is our church's responsibility only because it's your responsibility and it's mine. And when we come together, we make the church. Far too often I've heard people going, well, yeah, I mean, we, we want to do that, but when are we going to have an outreach event? Until the church does it for me, they're saying, I can't. That's a lie. We have all been called to proclaim the good news of Jesus to people. And yeah, if we have an opportunity to kind of do an event, and all, that's cool. I love that. But we can't wait for that. It is each of our responsibility to proclaim the gospel. Only when each of us are doing it will we as a church be a gospel-proclaiming church. 
Does that make sense? We can't wait for someone else to do it for us. We can't wait for someone else to put something on the calendar. You're it. We're it. If you're not doing it, it's not happening in our church. That's just the simple truth of it. We can continue to wait for someone else to step up and do it, but you kind of see where it's gotten us. It's our responsibility. We have to step up and do the work. We have been promised the same Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work God's called us to. We have to step up. We have to take responsibility for our calling. So all of this is kind of like a game of Jenga. You guys ever played that game? So you got all those little wooden pieces, and as you start to pull them out, what happens to that whole tower? It gets real wobbly. Eventually, that thing's coming down. Every game of Jenga ends up with that whole thing crashing down, right? These five pieces that we've been talking about, it's like Jenga. You start to pull them out, any of them, and the whole thing becomes real wobbly. We have been called to these five purposes. We can't neglect any of them. Worship, the word, prayer, fellowship, and proclamation. To miss any of those is to miss being the church. And listen, this, this is something that I... It scares me. To miss those is to miss the presence of God in our midst. To ignore the callings of God is to miss the presence and the power of God. And I don't want to do that. I long for his presence. I'm hungry for his presence, and I pray that you are too. And he says, I will be present with those who are on mission with me, those who are accepting my call, who are stepping out in faith, I will make myself known to them. And I don't want to miss the presence of God in my life or in our gatherings, however big or small they might be. We have to take responsibility for the callings that he's put on us. So the entire statement, we're going to look at the, the last line. The church consists of all those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, are redeemed through his blood, and are born again of the Holy Spirit, Christ is the head of the body, the church, which has been commissioned by him to go into all the world as a witness, preaching the gospel to all nations. The local church is a body of believers in Christ who are joined together for the worship of God, edification for the word of God, for prayer, fellowship, and proclamation of the gospel, and observances of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Hannah, can you go get the children's church for me? Thank you. I'm going to bring, bring them back in because we're going to talk about baptism more again in two weeks. So I'm not going to spend time on that right now. If you have questions, if that's something you're interested in, again, please uh, get a hold of me. I would love to talk about that with you. But we're going to look at it more as a group uh, at our Thanksgiving service. I want to look, finish by looking at the Lord's Supper, an ordinance that we have been called to. That word ordinance simply just means something that we have like a right to do together. The, the first ones are kind of like um, the worship and the word. It's kind of like, hey, any and every time we gather together, these things are to be happening. These last two are more when we gather together as a big group, here's some ways that we can celebrate the Lord together. And so baptism, just very quickly, is meant to be that public proclamation. I'm following Jesus. And there's all kinds of symbolism that goes into the, the water and coming out of it. But you can't do a secret baptism. It's meant to be this kind of public proclamation. And the Lord's Supper is not something that, on, on one level, could you just alone in a closet take communion? Yes, absolutely. Do we ever see that in Scripture? No. 
because it's this, we're getting together and let's remember what unites us together. That, that word communion, talked about community, it's celebrating two things. One, we have communion with God. The, the gap has been filled. We are now able to be in the very presence of our king through what Jesus has done. And communion is a way of celebrating that closeness, that communion with God. But last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul said part of the work that Jesus did on the cross was also to bring peoples together. He said there was this dividing line of hostility between us, but through the work of the cross, Jesus has brought together those who were far off and those who were near, Gentiles and Jews, all of them. He says they've been brought together and made one body. And so part of communion is meant to be looking at the people next to you and going, this is what unites us. This is what binds us together, the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. And then we celebrate together. The fullest expression isn't just me personally reflecting on what Jesus has done for me. That's a piece of it. But the fullest expression is that happening and then me looking and going, isn't he so good, brother or sister? He has bound us together. He, he, has, he has put us together in a way where like, I need you and you need me. And isn't that such a beautiful thing? And so as we come to communion this morning... We're going to do what we often do and just take in a moment of silence and that personal reflection to remember what Jesus has done on my behalf. A part of this that I always want to point out is asking the Lord, Lord, is there anything between you and me that needs dealt with? Is there any sin that I've been holding on to that you're calling me to release to you? Because I can't proclaim, man, he set me free from sin and hold on to sin at the same time. And so part of it is that reflection of going, Lord, is there, is there anything there that we need to deal with before I take communion? But then what I would love for you to do is to start looking around the room. And listen, it's going to look weird. You're going to make eye contact with somebody, and we don't know what to do with that. You ever, like, in a crowd, you make eye contact with somebody, and there's the immediate, oh, no. And you both kind of look away, and I can never look right again, because what if they're over there? And it's, you're going to make eye contact with someone. Cool. It's going to be okay. God has united us together through the power of his son, through the blood and the sacrifice of his son. You are not just people I see once a week. You are my brothers and you are my sisters. Honestly, closer to me than my blood relatives because we have the greatest thing in common. What wouldn't I give for you? What, what, what service would I withhold from you? We've been knit together. And to remember that through the Lord's Supper. Does this make sense? So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Let's just take a moment in silence and reflect on what the Lord has done for us.